dementia researcher with a blog and a rating. This week, I've been immersed in the Alzheimer's Association International Conference, and in this blog, I'm going to attempt to share a few highlights from the week. That in itself is no easy task, with over a thousand presenters covering every possible area of research, but I'll try. In considering how to approach this in a way that won't either bore the life out of you or clumsily fail to explain the science I don't understand, I'll focus on what AAIC have highlighted as the main sessions, select a handful of my own favourites, and share my thoughts on the overall feel of the event and the format. Before I start, I want to ensure you know that even though the conference is over, it isn't too late to sign up. iStart members can access the sessions and posters for 30 days, so please take a look for yourself and share your own highlights in the comments box below. Right, let's start with Monday and news around air pollution and its effect on cognitive outcomes. This isn't the first time we've heard that there's a connection between these two things, but it is the first time that the evidence has been brought together to prove that reducing pollution, especially fine particles in the air and pollutants from burning fuels, is also associated with the lowering the risk of all-cause dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Reducing air pollution was already listed as one of the 12 modifiable risk factors highlighted in the Professor Livingston 2020 Lancet report. But this isn't old news. It adds to the body of evidence and may result in more trials and funding for this area of discovery. And hopefully to get things that encourage policymakers to save the planet. Moving on, the next big news of the week came from three studies by Emma Nichols, Stevie Hendricks and Dr. Ambar Kushlerethter. And if you watch the presentation, you'll know that this was a real roller coaster of good news and bad news. Positive trends in global education access are expected to decrease dementia prevalence worldwide by 6.2 million cases by the year 2050. But... Anticipated trends in smoking, high body mass index and high blood sugar are predicted to increase prevalence by nearly the same number, 6.8 million cases. With these forecasts incorporated, researchers within the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington School of Medicine reported that there are an estimated number of people with dementia will nearly triple to more than 152 million by 2050. The highest increase in prevalence is protected to be in eastern sub-Saharan Africa, North Africa and the Middle East. Dementia prevalence data is being updated all the time. I've seen presentations in the last 18 months that suggest that incidence rate is actually falling, but prevalence is increasing, with the stats being affected by improving diagnosis rates and people living longer with the disease, but Either way, this isn't good news and it adds to the pressure to find effective treatments and clearly improve care. Next we come to Wednesday, when we heard that transgender and gender non-binary adults in the US are more likely to report worsening memory and thinking, functional limitations and depression compared to cisgender, non-gender adults. According to two new studies reported by Dr. Ethan Cicero from Emory University and Dr. Nicholas Lambrew from University of Wisconsin, they report that little is known about Alzheimer's disease, 
dementia and cognitive impairment amongst transgender adults. However, it is known that transgender adults experience a greater number of health disparities compared considering risk factors for dementia, including higher cardiovascular disease, depression, diabetes, tobacco and alcohol use and obesity. And the social inequalities experienced by transgender adults are also linked to increased risk of cognitive impairment. I think there'll be more research on this topic, so watch this space. Now, every year you notice a theme emerging. It's a hot topic on social media and the issues that get talked about the most. This year, if we ignore the strong presence of Biogen and Aducanumab, there were three. One, the short and long-term effects of COVID-19. Two, the lack of diversity in clinical trials. And three, biomarkers. Although biomarkers is a recurring theme. In previous years, I've come away from the conference having heard only about microglia or amyloid, and it may have been a big discovery in this area, but if there was, it bypassed me. So sincere apologies. Please do tell me what I missed in the comments below. For COVID-19, new research was presented that suggested that there is a connection between COVID-19 and persistent cognitive deficits, including the acceleration of Alzheimer's disease pathology and symptoms. Clearly, it's early days. The virus has only been with us for a short time, although it does feel like a long time. However, biological brain markers of brain injury, neuroinflammation and Alzheimer's correlated strongly with the presence of neurological symptoms in COVID-19 patients and individuals experiencing cognitive decline post-COVID-19 infection were more likely to have low blood oxygen following a brief physical exertion, as well as poor overall physical condition. Clearly, COVID-19 is going to be with us for a long time, in more ways than one. And there is a whole new emerging field of research exploring its effects on the brain, and I expect we'll see more of this in next year's AIC. Moving on, we come to diversity, or rather lack of diversity. This was the top story on Friday, and I'm not surprised it's finally getting the attention it deserves. I myself tweeted earlier in the week to ask why or why is every study presenting this week ending with the line, the study needs to be repeated with better diversity. I followed up by asking on Twitter what the reasons were. Was this due to a lack of effort or outreach, poor trial design, a problem with mistrust or culture, pressure to deliver quickly or to a budget? And could funders do more to influence this, rather like they've been helping push the patient and public involvement agenda? The answer I received was all of the above. It was also becoming clear that the studies that did well in diversity were designed for specific people rather than being inclusive, and also that the people who did best at getting diversity were the researchers from those cultures themselves. So, back to the research. It was reported that a significant hurdle in developing therapeutics and care models for Alzheimer's disease that work for people of all ethnicities and backgrounds is the recruitment and retention of traditionally underrepresented groups in clinical trials. Dr. Holly Massett and Alexander Mitchell from the NIA and Dr. Dorothy Farr Edwards from the University of Wisconsin presented new evidence-based insights 
into why people from communities of colour do and do not choose to participate in clinical trials. In a nutshell, they found that individuals are more willing to volunteer for a clinical trial if they're invited to participate, want to contribute to the goal of the research, or have a member of the family with the disease. African-American, Latino and American Indian respondents are significantly more likely to volunteer if asked by a person of the same race, and are more concerned than whites about disruption of work and family responsibilities and availability of transport and childcare, and commonly used Alzheimer's clinical trial design exclusion criteria have the potential to disproportionately affect African Americans and Hispanics Latinos, which may play a role in their reduced enrollment in research. This could be things like an ability to read or write, for example. Last of all, the National Institute on Aging, NIA, used the AIC platform to launch a new online tool, Outreach Pro, to help researchers and clinicians increase awareness and participation in clinical trials. Do take a look. I think this could be something that would look great in the UK. Before I finish on the diversity challenge, I should add that there were also many, many other presentations on this issue. Researchers from Australia, India, China, Brazil, although uh, I, I didn't see any from the UK. If I missed it, do let me know. I'll be disappointed if we're not also addressing this. Or maybe we are, but just not presenting on the international stage. Last but not least, we come to biomarkers. My favourite presentation of the week came from Professor Henrik Zetterberg. You must go watch this. Giving a very comprehensive overview of the progress in developing fluid and blood-based biomarkers. Ending his presentation with the line, Travelling to space doesn't seem to be good for the brain. We'll have to consider that when we move from Earth. So, perhaps he has something planned. But there is more to biomarkers than the fabled blood test. Lots of research was presented on use of artificial intelligence to analyse language, suggesting that language patterns can spot changes up to five years earlier than a cognition test. There was also more on gait analysis and, of course, imaging. Also, and importantly, how biomarkers could be used in the real world and how we might implement them. I realise this blog is getting long now, but I promise we're nearly at the end. It would be remiss of me to write this blog and not mention care research. The AIC has a reputation for being heavy on the science at a conference for neurologists and scientists. But honestly, this is no longer the case. There were hundreds of posters and presentations looking at clinical practice and care, both inside and outside hospital settings, as well as brain health, dementia prevention and public health. Too many to mention. But one highlight came from Professor Jennifer Lingler from the University of Pittsburgh, who presented a fascinating work on disclosure of AD biomarkers and neuroimaging results in systematic populations. Do take a look. She does brilliantly at presenting the issues and providing approaches on how to do this and do it well. There were some parts of the conference that only happened in person. My colleagues from the PIA to Elevate Early Career Researchers, which I very much encourage you to join, were fantastic in organising three early career researcher workshops on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, to look at career progressions involving people with dementia, 
in their work and also on science communications. Unfortunately, these aren't available to view online, but we do hope to do some webinars on the same topics in the future. So well done to my ECR PIA colleagues who did a fantastic job in organising those and a, and a particular shout out to James Quinn, who was the only one of our um, ECR PIA who managed to attend in person. And also Courtney Klosk, who uh, stepped in to help James and also do so much with us and everybody who contributed to those workshops throughout the week. Finally, let's briefly address the format. This year's conference used a hybrid platform. That doesn't mean it runs on electricity and petrol, although kind of when you think about it, it does. Um, this was the first of its kind. Sessions came in every possible combination, some live with everyone in person from Denver, some mixed with uh, live and live people online, some pre-recorded and every other combination. I liked it. There were plenty of technical glitches, sure, most seemingly due to presenters having poor Wi-Fi, but I don't think this in any way mattered. We've come to accept these, and the compromise worked well in helping 10,000 people register and attend online, in addition to 1,000 people in person. And I gather the organisers plan to use this format for all future conferences. It's opened up the world to share science, and I'm sure it will continue to improve year on year. Honestly, there's so much more I could say, but I won't. I've been tweeting all week, so if you want to see the posters and presentations I liked, go to my Twitter feed, and then follow the presenters and take a look at their work. You'll find me on Twitter, at Better Research. Thank you all again, and I'll see you at the AAIC next year. Thank you for listening. Join the Dementia Research bloggers and share your own views.